Well, welcome. We are so glad that you all are here today uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I just want to go out there right away and say, if you are in junior high or high school and you want to go hang out with the youth group, they're in the back and uh, you can run over there, hang out with them and they're all about to leave. So we're not kicking you out. You're welcome to stay. But that is a really fun group of people back there to hang out with. Um, yeah, let's give, give uh, the youth group a hand. All right. Well, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever had a life-changing experience? Like, as you think about your life, uh, could you think back to a time that you just said, man, my life was headed one direction, and on this day, things changed? You know, as I think about that for myself, um, I can think of a, a, a lot of ways, like stories that I would tell people about, you know, on this day, this changed in my life. I remember uh, coming to this country as a young kid, and when I got here, man, I was just kind of socially not really connected with people. And I just had this friend in junior high that was so cool. Everybody thought he was amazing, and I don't know why he liked me, but he did. And uh, people liked me just because he liked me. They were like, who wants to hang out with that nerd? But I guess if it's his friend, we'll hang out with him. And I look back at that as being a time that uh, my life kind of shifted. And I think back to high school. Um, in my, my freshman year, being totally unknown, nobody knew who I was, but I got involved in sports and ended up becoming kind of successful in this certain sport that I was in. And my name was in the newspaper all over the place and everywhere I went, people knew who I was. And I just thought about how, how in a sense, significant that was as a change in my life. But I'll tell you this, nothing changed my life like coming to know Christ. My life was completely transformed. And even though I would look back at those things and say, hey, those were good changes in my life, the truth is I was headed for disaster the way that I was living. And God intervened just at the perfect time. And what I want you to know is we're going to look today at a person named Paul. And his life was totally transformed when he met the resurrected Christ. And we're going to look at what meeting Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, can do to change your life. And here's the, here's the fact. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, he didn't think he needed his life to change. Uh, there are some of us, we look at our lives and we know we need change. Paul didn't think he needed change, but he was in desperate need of change. And anybody's life who has not been changed by Christ needs that change. And so uh, we're going to consider three things basically this morning. What Paul's life was like before he met Jesus, how he met Jesus, and what his life was like after he met Jesus. And did you know that if you ever meet a Christian uh, that is true of that person. They could tell you the story. This is what I was like before I met Christ. This is how I met Christ. And this is what my life was like after. Like every Christian has that story. One of the things that I love about testimonies is that there are some parts of a person's testimony that are unique to each individual. Uh, my story, the, the things that happened in my life are not exactly the same as yours. Um, the Apostle Paul, he lived, he lived in a different century. 
He lived in a different time. There were things that were unique about his life. But did you want to know that every single Christian, when they talk about their life, what their life was like before, how they met Christ, and what their life is like after, every Christian, there are elements of it that are exactly the same. Because coming to know Christ is the same for everyone. And that's the great thing about reading this story about Paul is we're going to see this amazing thing that God did in his life and we're going to realize the things that every human on earth needs to see and needs to happen in their life. And so we're going to see that this morning. Now, when you think about the significance of who Jesus is, you know, we've, you could meet a lot of people that could change your life. But what makes this transformation so significant is that Jesus is unique in history. There is no other person like him on earth. There never has been and never will be. He is unique in history. Let me tell you a few things about Jesus. Uh, The first thing about him is that he existed before he was born. No one else existed before they were born. But Jesus did. He was the eternal God. He was the creator In fact, the Bible says that Jesus holds everything together, that he's the reason, like he is sustaining and keeping people alive. Now, on on Friday, we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the amazing, unbelievable thing, is as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he was holding the molecules of the cross together and the nails that went into his hands and the hammer that was being used to drive those nails. Jesus was sustaining the universe and actually keeping alive the people who were executing him. That has never happened in history. Jesus is unique because he was God who took on humanity. He is the second person of the Trinity. He was born of a virgin. When he was born and John the Baptist, uh, when he started his ministry, John the Baptist looks at him and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lived a perfect life. Could you imagine growing up in a home and your half-brother is perfect? Like that's what his brothers had to live with. Now the crazy thing is that none of his brothers were believers during his life. In fact, they said he was crazy. He was like the outcast in his family. But we do find that they eventually, when Jesus rose from the dead, his siblings' lives were changed because they recognized this isn't just my brother. This is the God of the universe. In fact, the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother. The book of Jude was written by Jesus' half-brother. So their lives were transformed by the resurrected Christ. When he taught, he taught with authority (laughs) because he wrote the Bible and he was in ultimate authority. The religious leaders hated him. They were supposed to be pointing them, but they hated him. On Palm Sunday, people cheered for him as the Messiah. And on Good Friday, they shouted, crucify him. And on Resurrection Sunday, he rose from the dead. And that proved that he was who he said he was. And and it proved that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for the sins of mankind. And this is the crazy thing about the resurrection. Jesus was well known. He was famous. He had disciples that knew him. 
He had Pharisees that had been following his life and knew who he was. His siblings were there. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he stayed on earth for 40 days. And while he was on earth, there were no mistakes. This wasn't somebody they thought was Jesus. These were people who knew him well. And he was seen all over the place. In fact, the Bible tells us, like Paul's gonna list off, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he lists the people who sees him. And he lists his brother. And he lists a time that Jesus stood in front of a crowd of 500 people. And these people all knew who he was. And, and as Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he says, and by the way, some of these people are still alive today. Like we know Josephus, the Jewish historian, recorded that Jesus rose from the dead and he was not a follower of Jesus. The resurrection is a historical fact. And one of the things that we know is it's not just his, historical fact that we hear about. It actually has personal significance and it has personal significance whether you accept Christ and follow him or if you don't um, it will still have significance and here's the significance is that when we see Jesus for who he is and we personally accept him that puts our life on a path for all eternity a path that starts right now in this, in this life, the abundant life, eternal life, starts the moment you accept Christ, but it goes on forever. And when people meet Christ and they reject him, that also has significance because your life stays on the same trajectory. And that is a trajectory of eternal destruction and separation from God. This life is a vapor. And then comes eternity. And we have this life to make a decision about how we will respond to Jesus. And I just want to go out there. We're going to look at what happened with Paul. And I just want to say to you, you want to be like Paul. You want to be a person who hears about Jesus, who sees him for who he is, and who gets on the path to eternal life. You do not want to be like the people that we're going to hear that Paul tells about his transformation. Because they hear about Jesus, they feel that tug in their heart, but they walk away. And that's not who we want to be like. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 1. Paul, Paul wrote this, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, he's writing to believers, so that includes many of us here. Um, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. You have to make a personal choice. You don't just get to hear it. You have to make a decision and receive the gospel, which you received, in which you stand. Uh, that, that, that impacts our standing before God, the way we live, in which, uh, by which you are being saved. You know, salvation is something that happens in a moment, but is also a process. So by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Hey, there's false belief. There are people who know the facts of the gospel. In fact, the Bible says that the demons believe and shudder. You know, the scariest thing about my life is I grew up in church and I heard the gospel over and over and I never 
doubted whether or not it was true. I remember being a kid, my mom would teach good news clubs in neighborhoods and they would invite all the neighbors and all these little kids would come hang out and she would talk about heaven and hell and I just thought, man, hell's a bad place, I don't wanna go there. And uh, what, do, what do I gotta do? What do I gotta say to not go to hell? So I would like to say the words, Jesus, I believe in you and come into my heart. And then I would get up and just live however I wanted. I remember being in junior high and, I, and uh, I remember going away to this camp and they preached the gospel and I felt so convicted and I knew that I needed to believe and I just said, all right, I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe in Jesus and I prayed, Lord, I wanna go to heaven. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna change my life. And I remember getting to school and getting on the bus, uh, getting off the bus. And I get off the bus and I walk onto my campus and I look over there and I, I see my friends off in the distance. And as I looked at them and thought about what it was gonna mean for me to actually be a Christian, <laughs> my life was gonna change. <laughs> I learned that part and I just thought, Nah, having fun and having friends is too important. Ah, forget it. And I, and I just, I, the moment I just looked at my friends, I didn't get persecuted, I didn't get beaten, I just looked over at my friends and thought, actually, I'd rather have fun now. And uh, that was my story until Jesus changed me. So it takes a personal choice. And by the way, that is a life-changing choice. And this is the gospel right here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All right, you guys ready to uh, jump into the Bible here? Let's read a story about Paul and how his life was changed. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Now there's a Bible in, in front of you. If you don't have a Bible or if you have your phones, you can go to Acts chapter 26 and we're doing the ESV if you like reading along in the same, the same translation. But even if it's different, it's okay. You could still follow. Now just to bring you up to speed, the Apostle Paul, he ends up getting saved. The book of Acts records that. It's the beginning of the church. And so the Apostle Paul, he ends up getting saved, and then as he goes out telling people about what God did in his life, as he goes telling that story, he's chased and he's persecuted by people. Uh, in fact, by the very group that he used to be a part of, he was persecuted by his friends. And uh, so he's persecuted, and, and there's all these things, and he ends up uh, preaching the gospel every time he can get in front of a crowd and there were riots of people that wanted to kill him and every time he got in front of a crowd he'd tell his story about how God saved him and so he ends up going before this governor because they want to kill him and he's being charged with a crime and so he goes in front of Felix in Acts 23 and 24 and he, he tells a story to him we could have picked that passage but we're doing 26 today and uh, so uh, he hears the he hears his story puts him in prison for two years and when he's in prison, you know, Paul just keeps sharing the gospel with him. And this guy wanted money. He was hoping that somebody would give him money to let, let him out of prison. And instead of that, he just keeps him there. And Paul just, man, another opportunity to share the gospel. You ever look at your circumstances and you're frustrated by them? Uh, and Paul recognized God's in control. Everything that happens in my life is him putting me where he wants me to be. I, I think about that. I remember one time I was hanging out with a friend and my, my vehicle broke down and I, I had sat somewhere. It was during COVID. I sat there for like three hours waiting for a tow truck. I cannot tell you what an inconvenience that was to my day. 
But as I sat sat there, I thought, well, God wants me to actually talk to my neighbor who I was hanging out with. This is three hours to talk to him about the Lord. And I thought, you know, there's a tow truck driver coming to pick me up. And so God must want me to talk to that tow truck driver. And so I didn't miss either opportunity. And, just, and for Paul, he didn't look at his life, and he wasn't mad, and he wasn't frustrated about all these things happening. He realized God put him here for a purpose. And so he does that, and then Felix, uh, uh, Felix ends up uh, getting replaced by a guy named Festus. And, and Festus is in the story that we're going to talk about. So Festus now has Paul, and uh, he's not sure what to do with him, so he invites this, guy, this king named Agrippa. And so he says to Agrippa and Bernice, hey, come help me figure out what to do with this guy. And this is the story that we're going to hear. So uh, let's start in chapter 26, verse 1. This is what Paul's life was like before he met Christ. This is the story that he tells. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. And he says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know, you look at Paul, he's in prison for no reason. These are people who have authority over him, and his biggest concern is not justice for himself. He's He's like looking at this as an opportunity. Look how respectfully he uh, addresses Agrippa. And so he just says, I beg you uh, to listen to me patiently. He knows that his life, and he understands that God is in sovereign control of everything. I want you to think about your life. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care where you are. There is nothing in your life that is an accident. There's no tragedy that you've gone through that God doesn't, is not a part of. There's no dilemma that you are facing that is an accident. And God has an intention, whether you know Christ, it is an opportunity for you to to live out what God calls you to be. If you don't know Christ, the tragedies that you face are a gift to allow you to reconsider life and to think about hope and to think about your purpose. And so your, your circumstances are either to help you share the gospel or they are there to help you come to know Christ. Think about that. Nothing in your life is an accident. Acts 26.4, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. You know, he's like, these guys that are, that are here that want to kill me, I was their friend. They know about me. They know what my life is like. Just ask them. Like they saw Paul's life change. They went from saying, he's our favorite guy. He helps us kill Christians to saying he became a Christian. Let's kill him. Like they saw his life change. And it just reminds me of John 16, 2, where Jesus tells his disciples, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. We're going to find out that that's true of the people persecuting Paul, but that was true of Paul. 
He was persecuting Christians, killing them, thinking that he was serving God. In his mind, not only was he a good person, he was the best person. Uh, He was totally committed to what he was doing, except he was driven by pride and self-righteousness. He saw um, he was completely missing compassion and love. But he didn't realize that. The lens through which he saw life was wrong. Have you ever met people? And it's like you just look at, like they could see two people go watch the exact same circumstance, the exact same situation, and come to a completely different perspective about what was right and wrong about that. You ever, you ever, do we ever see that? I mean, flip on the news and listen to people talking about things. They see the same things opposite. And here's the issue. Sometimes the lens that we look at life through is broken. And Paul's lens was broken. He was committing incredible evil, but he thought he was good, the best. In fact, in Acts 22.3, he, he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in the city, educated under Gamel. Um, that, that guy was a famous rabbi, strictly according to the law of our fathers. I was zealous for God. In Galatians 1, he says about himself, I was advancing in Ju- Judaism beyond all my contemporaries among my, my countrymen, more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He just says, I'm the most committed person I know. Like that's, that's where he was at. In Philippians 3, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Man, these rules that nobody could follow, he followed. But his lens, the way he saw himself, the way he saw life was all wrong. Uh, Verse 6 of Acts 26, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You know, I remember being a kid and just thinking, I'm so glad I was born in church and raised in church. Now, I wasn't a Christian, but from the time, like, I was, before I could even remember, I was taught that, that Jesus was born of a virgin, and I never doubted that. Um, if God made the world out of nothing, is it hard for him to raise the dead? I mean, it's not like God got a science book and said, okay, how does life work? How is biology? What do I need to do to make people? You know, every scientific law God made. He didn't learn about those things. He made those things. And so if God created gravity and God made, it's like people read the miracles in the Bible and they're like, oh, how could that have happened? God stopped the rotation of the earth and moved it backwards. I would destroy everything. It's like, who do you think made the laws of inertia? 
Who do you think made the sun? Who did all that stuff? Like God made everything. He can interrupt anything he wants to interrupt. There's no miracle that's crazy. Uh, God raising somebody from the dead. He took a pile of dirt and scooted it together and breathed on it and it became a person. Like, why would it be crazy if you understand that God is real and made the world, that any miracle or that God could raise the dead? That's not hard to imagine. And he says in verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. Um, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, so here's um, th- these are some chains that they, that from the first century that they would have stuck on people's arms. They would have put that on them, and then they would have thrown them in these uh, prison cells, not the nice conditions that we have in our prisons. And then he says this, um, I locked many of the saints up in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in the synagogues, tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I per- persecuted them even to former cities. Like when you think about the Apostle Paul, think of the place that is the most host- hostile to the gospel. Think about an Islamic uh, country. Think about, um, think about uh, you know, a communist country where, where if you got up and proclaimed Jesus and preached the gospel, people would kill you. Um, I know of people in this country from Islamic countries where they became Christians and their own family was going to kill them. When you think about that kind of hostility and hatred, terrorism. That was Paul. Like Paul was a terrorist. He was finding Christians, torturing them, harming them, wanting to kill them. That's who Paul was. And when he thinks back about that, he says, though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, God's grace, overflowed with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. One of the things that Paul recognized about himself is he thought he was the most righteous person on earth and he realized that he was the greatest sinner. So if you're here today and you feel like you're a good person, you know, God doesn't send bad people to hell. You know, he only sends bad people to hell like Hitler and stuff like that. But I'm good. I've done more good things than bad. Um, If you think that, that's not true. Uh, That's actually wrong thinking. You are in trouble if you're a good person. You are in devastating trouble and you have no hope if you're a good person. Now, if you're a bad person, sometimes we feel like, man, I'm bad. God would never love me and would never accept me. And how would I ever make up for these horrible, wrong, terrible things I've done? And I just want you to know, if you're a bad person, you're also in trouble. But you're in no more trouble than the person who thinks they're the best. Everybody's in trouble. And Paul realized that he was in trouble and that his only hope was Jesus. And that is true for every single person. 
He says in verse 16, after this verse, he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know, Paul's like, hey guys, if God could save me, he could save anyone. That's, that's what Paul, that was his attitude. Um, and then Paul's going to talk about how he met Christ. So that's who he was. So how do you meet Jesus? What happened? What changed this person from being so self-righteous and so intent on destroying Christians to being one of them? Where all the people that would travel with him and help him all of a sudden said, well, he used to be our leader, but now we need to kill him because he defected. Like what, what caused that change to happen in his life? This is what it says in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So here's a picture. That's a city of Damascus. Um, and that's where actually Paul was going. You want to know something cool? Um, they have this, uh, this is a gate. And, um, and this gate that's there is probably the gate that Paul walked through. On the other side of it is a street called Straight. Like, we, like that's the great thing about the Bible is that you can go there and you can actually like see the gate. You see the places where this happened. This is not some storybook. This is not some Disney movie that somebody made. These are real things that happen with real people in real places. And Paul says this in Acts 9. So Acts 9, chapter 1, actually records the story that Paul's talking about here. And it says, but Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's talking about Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. (laughs) So Jerusalem was the place that the Jews had power. It's where they could punish people. It's where they could kill people. You want to know what's funny in this story? Paul was trying to collect people, bring them to Jerusalem so he could persecute them. You want to know like in this whole trial thing that's going going on here the Jews kept going to these Roman leaders and saying can we have Paul can we take him to Jerusalem so it's like what Paul wanted to do they're like yeah we need to get him into our area and it's like you see that happening here and Paul knows what's going to happen if he goes to Jerusalem so he says I'm a Roman citizen I appeal to Caesar I want to go I want to go to Rome And so the Jews don't get to have him. Verse 13, Paul's going to talk about what happens here. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, so God knows Hebrew. (laughs) He actually knows all languages, but he speaks to Paul in Hebrew because that's what Paul spoke. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes personally how Paul is treating Christians. And then he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Have you ever heard that? You ever wondered, what does that mean? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Okay, so here's a picture. I've I've often wondered that. Uh, But these are some... some, uh, 
animals that are plowing, and there's a plow, and you see that guy, he's got a stick. You know what he does with that stick? He smacks the cows and he pokes the cows to make them move, to make them plow. You know what, what God's saying throughout all this time? God has been prodding Paul. So Paul has this, this view, this sinful attitude, but God's been working in his heart. heart. God has been prodding him. And as he's doing that, Paul is kicking against it. He's saying no, like God's drawing him to himself. He's drawing him into salvation. And Paul's saying no. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a place where you heard about Jesus? A Christian shared their testimony with you. Uh, maybe a pastor was talking. You saw something on TV. You had a family member talking to you. And in your heart, you're feeling prodded. Like I remember that um, in my life as a kid growing up, I'd go away to camps and there'd be messages and people would be preaching and I knew I needed the gospel and I knew it was true, but man, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> you want to know what one of the things that really uh, held me back is I grew up in church. My family went to church every week. If anybody would have said to me, are you a Christian? I would have said yes. And so I would feel convicted and I would go to church and I'd be sitting in a room full of people and they would say, if you want to come to know Christ, come forward. And I just, my heart was beating and, and I was breathing hard and I knew I needed to do it. But I just thought, if I stand up and walk up there, everybody's going to know I'm not a Christian. Like I couldn't become a Christian without admitting I wasn't a Christian. And that's a lie I'd been telling my whole life. And, and actually, that stopped me. And I used to think, I wonder if I really was saved back then. Because kind of there was a sing in me that wanted to do it. You want to know what I realized? I wasn't a Christian. And the fear of man, the truth is, people's opinion of me, my Christian friends and family, meant more to me than what Jesus thought. And the very thing that stopped me from getting up was like the very thing that made me not a Christian. Right. And, and that's how it was when I was younger and I was in church. And then when I was in junior high and I went away to camp and I just quietly received Christ, but just by myself. And then I showed up to school and I looked across and saw my friends and thought, yeah, now nah, forget it. Um, that was the same thing. The same thing that I thought about as a high school student where I knew everything in the gospel was true, but having fun and having friends was too important to me. Now, that stopped me from coming to Christ. Did you know that that's what Jesus addressed every time he had crowds and every time people came to him? Now, there are no secret service Christians. There are no Christians who say, oh yeah, I'll be a Christian, but... Actually, I live for myself. I do what I want. I know God says these things are wrong, but I do those anyway. That is not a Christian. Um, Jesus, when a person came to him to come to know Christ, he goes, comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, obey all the commandments. And he goes, oh, no, I've done that. And he says, oh, good. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says that the guy walked away sad because he was very rich. You don't want to, want to know what Jesus always did anytime uh, he was sharing the gospel, calling people to Christ. He always said, what's your most important thing? 
If that's more important to you than me, then you don't get to be my disciple. In fact, Jesus said, anyone who doesn't take up his cross, that's a willingness to die, um, cannot be my disciple. Cannot. So Jesus says, if I'm not number one, I reject you. Anybody who doesn't come after me and willing to take up his own cross cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if you love your father, mother, brothers, sisters, or even your own life more than me, you cannot be my disciple. So when I'm sitting there and they're saying, hey, come give your life to Christ, and I'm thinking to myself, what I'm imagining about the opinion of other people matters more to me than my eternity. That was Jesus just picking out that one thing and saying anything that matters more to me, you cannot be my disciple. And you should not be confused at all about whether or not that means you need to earn your salvation or be a good person to go to heaven. You don't. But when God, when the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and you see yourself for who you are and you see God for who he is and you see life as it really is, there is nothing that you wouldn't trade to have a relationship with Christ. And I would just say, don't be like Paul, kicking against the goads. It is an incredible blessing when you feel convicted, when people share the gospel, when you feel that tug in your heart. That is an incredible gift. Don't pass that by. Uh, because that's a lost opportunity that you may never get again. I think about this family just recently walking on the sidewalk. We've all been reading it. We've all been thinking about it. Walking on the sidewalk and some intoxicated person plows them down on the sidewalk. And unfortunately, their baby passed away. But those two, they, their life could have been over too. Do you have any idea how many people just go to bed at night and don't wake up in the morning? Or how, how many people that are young and they're healthy and they feel like they have their whole life ahead of them and all of a sudden in a moment their life is over. You know, Jesus is going to come back at some point and opportunity will be done for everyone. Um, but we never know when that day is going to be our day. Um, you want to know what the truth is? You could be sitting here right now feeling convicted and you might not live to the end of lunch. None of us knows the time that we have. You want to know what the worst thing is? Think about God talking to Israel. And he says to Israel um, in the book of Amos, he says, I'm sending a famine, a famine uh, and a drought. Not a famine for food and water, but a famine for my word. And it's because they heard it and they heard it and they didn't pay attention to it. And God finally said, I'm not talking to you anymore. You want to know that's the story of hundreds and thousands of kids who grew up in church. And they grew up in church. They heard it every day. They just rejected it, rejected it, and rejected it. And now they're off wandering in the world. And you want to know something? They don't have any friends that will tell them about God anymore. Um, they have removed themselves from the influence of the gospel. And God doesn't send people to them anymore. You know, there's a lot of people in that situation where God said, you've heard it over and over and over and you've rejected it and rejected it. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And so they're living 
but they're living with no more opportunity. And I just want you to know, I, you know, <laughs> that could have been me because I rejected the truth so many times and it wasn't too late for me. But we never know when it's going to be too late for us. And that can sometimes be because we die. And sometimes it's because we remove ourselves from the voices that God has sent to be speaking to us. Uh, we need to make sure we don't miss opportunities. And Jesus just says this in verse 15. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Nobody should do that. And then I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then in Acts 9, 7, he tells us, he says, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he's without sight, and he didn't eat or drink. So God blinded him. You know, I just want you to know that in the Old Testament, there's a story about this king, and he disobeys God. And one of the things that, that Nebuchadnezzar does to him as he lines up all his sons in front of him because he disobeyed him and he kills them all and then he pokes out his eyes and uh, he just a way to punish that guy is to just say the last is the last thing you're ever going to see you know the fact that god blinded paul it's like everything else disappeared and paul got to live that moment for three days it was the last thing he saw it was in his mind you know, um, the truth of the resurrection is pretty significant. Um, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, um, Paul didn't live his life based on what he thought was like, I want to think thoughts that make me feel good. Paul cared about what was true. And when he talks about the resurrection, he says that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that, more than 500 people. And then he appeared to James, that was his brother. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. Paul saw Jesus. And that was significant because truth matters. And then he says to Paul, he says, rise up on your feet. I've appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things that you've seen in me and those which I will appear to you. And to deliver you from people and, and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. Paul's purpose was to open people's eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place um, among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, Paul says, God says, Paul, I'm sending you to share the gospel and to tell people how they can go from the kingdom of Satan to, to my kingdom and from the road to hell to the road to heaven. That was Paul's message. <laughs> you wanna know something? Um, God sent Paul all over the place. He goes from one town to another, to one place, to prison before this king and then that king. Did you know that if you're a Christian, so God is actually doing that to every single Christian. You know, that's the same message. That's the same purpose of every Christian. Instead of you having to travel around, God put Christians in neighborhoods. So if you're in your neighborhood, God puts you there to talk to your neighbors. If you have a job, God puts you there to talk to people at your job. Your mission as a Christian is no different than Paul's mission. It's just that you don't have to run around and get thrown in prison <laughs> for now. <laughs> that could change. 
But God just spread his people out everywhere to do what God's called them to do. And that's what to say, if you know a Christian, just go ask them, what was your life like before you met Christ? How'd you meet Christ? What's your life been like since? That's what every Christian does. That's your main occupation if you're a Christian is you want to tell everybody what happened. That's what Paul did everywhere he went. He told everyone. Oh, I'm in prison. Let me tell the prisoners. Oh, there's a crowd, the angry mob screaming to kill me. Hey, guys, could you quiet down? And then when they quiet down, he tells them his story. That's what he does. And that's what God wants you to do. And how many Christians think that they're secret service Christians. We're afraid to talk to our kids. Maybe they'll get mad. We don't want to talk to our neighbors. Maybe they won't like me anymore. We don't talk to people at work. Maybe I'll get fired. No, think about Paul and the marching orders Paul gave Paul. is what he tells every Christian. You should be so excited to talk about what God did in your life. So he gives them this mission. But you want to know something? It takes a personal choice. You got to respond. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Paul thinks about it for three days, and then God sends Ananias to come heal him from being blind. And Ananias just says to him, He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road when you were coming has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what happens when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And immediately, something fell from his eyes like scales. I think he had sunburned eyes. And, and it's like they peeled, I guess. I don't know. And then he says to Paul, don't delay. Get up and be baptized and call on his name. That's how you become a Christian is you call on the name of God. You say, Jesus, I need to be saved. And you call out to him for his mercy. And Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nobody who says, God, please save me. And God doesn't say yes. God says yes to everyone. But you have to call out for salvation. So what happens to Paul? What happened? Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Immediately, Paul goes out, starts preaching the gospel. Uh, God gave Paul a message, and that was that you repent and turn to God. That's a turn around, live a new life. And um, you want to know what's sad about the rest of this story? So Paul preaches, and uh, Festus says, hey, you're crazy. And King Agrippa actually says to him, hey, what are you trying to convert me? I mean, he, like King Agrippa talks about this conviction that he's feeling. He's like, you're trying to convert me? And Paul's like, yeah, I want you to be saved like I am. And, and then they kind of, the scene ends, Paul leaves, and this chapter ends with Festus and Bernice and Agrippa walking away going, you know, this guy's innocent, and if he wouldn't have appeal to Caesar, we could have been released. And uh, they walk away. It was kind of interesting. They felt challenged. And they walked away without responding. Man, what a tragedy. Can I tell you something? Their life's over. They were a vapor way back then. And they're not on this earth anymore. And they missed the golden opportunity of their life. And I would just say for us, if you don't know the Lord, don't miss this opportunity. You need Christ. 
And I would say, if you're a Christian, don't ever miss the opportunity to talk to somebody about their relationship with God. Don't ever prioritize your personal comfort. Don't ever prioritize being socially polite. I'm not saying we should run around and be idiots to everybody, but I'm just saying there are bigger mistakes that you could make than to not share the gospel. Man, God's put us here for a reason, and we celebrate the resurrection on Easter, and the resurrection changes life. The resurrection can change your life. So I would just say at the very end of the service, and I'll say it again later, if you don't know the Lord and you want to talk to somebody about it, come up. Man, we'll pray for you. We'll talk to you. If you have other issues going on in your life and you just want prayer, you'll have an opportunity to come up too. So don't be afraid. People will think I'm going up there to get saved. But let me just tell you, if you are, uh, don't be afraid. Because what any, but first of all, everybody in this church would celebrate. But secondly, who cares? When Paul got saved, all his friends decided to kill him. That's not happening to you here. You, you come up forward, nobody's taking you out back to stone you, to kill you. Like, that ain't happening. But I'll just tell you this, even if it would happen, it would be such a better choice for you to walk up here and get right with the Lord. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the way that you transformed Paul's life. Lord, that's the story for every single one of us. Lord, we need that. And there can be so many obstacles, so many things that stand in the way. God, I pray that you would remove those, that you would open up hearts, that you would help everyone to see their desperate need for you. And Lord, for those of us who know you, God, I pray that you would rip away all the selfishness, all the things that make us live in a way that is less than what you call us to do and be. God, I pray that you would work. And Lord, we're just so thankful for the resurrection in your name. Amen.